Welcome to the NS North podcast. My name is Adrienne Marshall, and I am joined tonight by my co-hosts, Dan Byers and Philippe Cascra. How are you, Phil? I am great, and you, Adrienne? Fantastic, thanks. And yourself, Dan? I'm really good. Thanks for asking. For today's episode, we have one of our speakers, John Edwards, joining us. How are you, John? I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Where are you now? What do you do? My name is John Edwards. I'm a classically trained watchmaker, and I've worked on the iOS apps Kello and TwixTime, both of which are used to analyze the precision precision of watches, and in the case of TwixTime, clocks as well. Uh, presently located in Ottawa, Canada, which is our beautiful capital. And uh, prior to this, I uh, lived in a number of different places spread out across the country and the planet. Oh, really? What, uh, where else has uh, that been? I'm guessing Switzerland. No, actually, I have not lived in Switzerland. Uh, I lived in Finland for a bit, England, uh, spent a good bit of time in Germany and Portugal as well. So you've circled Switzerland, you just never... <laughs> <laughs> So were, were you doing training in places like Finland and, and England, or? Uh, it was all just schooling and whatnot between yeah. high school and, you know, did a year of university in, in England as well. Finland was an extension of, of high school, uh, just because just I could. And, um, yeah, just the various places for, for various reasons. So we know you're a watchmaker and an iOS developer, which sounds like an incredible, almost unbelievable combination of skills. Can you tell us more about what you do at Coldflower and like really sort of, I guess, give us more of the nitty gritty into what you do with the, with the Kello and Twix apps? Um, so I do a good portion of, of the development. I certainly can't take uh, all of the credit for it because uh, I'm incredibly grateful for the help uh, I've had from a number of people who are much smarter than me uh, in developing some of the more technically in-depth aspects uh, of the technologies that actually make the apps possible. Uh, I've had help from neuroscientists and quantum chemists uh, and also from excellent fellow Coco programmers like uh, Chris Leeshow, who was actually a speaker at NS North last year and who I met at NS North a few years before that. So I have uh, you guys to thank for that. Small world. Wow, yeah. that's neat to hear. Very mm. good. Yeah. It's all about making connections at NS North. There you go. It is. Yeah. I'd say neither of the apps would be where they are today uh, without the help of, of other people. And likewise for a lot of the exciting new stuff that I've got in the pipeline for, for both of them. So are, there, are these apps done, obviously, in your spare time, I guess? Like yes. You're, you're, yeah. you're a full-time watchmaker. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Watchmaker by day and coder the rest of the time. Must keep you busy. Lives a double life, but nowadays, watchmaker and iOS kind of starts to make a little bit more sense with uh, Apple Watch and everything. To a degree, yeah, for sure. There's a lot of exciting new opportunities there. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how Apple evolves the watch as time goes on. Are you... Uh... I do want to get back to your apps, but would you say that you're you're happy with the state of the affairs with the Apple Watch? Uh, there's a lot to praise about the industrial design of Apple Watch, uh, particularly the bracelets and, and the bands. 
any shortcomings uh, I would say it has at present are primarily technical hurdles and somewhat odd for an Apple product. I say there's a little bit of a lack of focus in the overall execution. It does a lot of things mediocrely right now rather than a small number of things exceedingly well. Uh, it's kind of an unusual pendulum swing, in my opinion, from the no SDK, no copy-paste, no wallpaper world of the original iPhone. Uh, but then again, today's Apple is a very different Apple from the one that launched the iPhone nearly a decade ago. Overall, I would say that I'm, I'm bullish about the future of wearable computers. And uh, yeah, like I said, very much looking forward to seeing how Apple continues to, to push and evolve Apple Watch going forward. Do you own one? I did for a little, wasn't getting enough use out of it. And the fact that you can't design faces for it, uh, I just, so faces aren't the primary thing that I would want to be developing, but a lot of what I'd want to do would come through the face. The complications weren't there at the beginning, but even that still doesn't fully tap into the potential that I, I see for the watch, I guess you could say. Uh, I, personally, I want more control. Uh, over the whole user experience. So that in its current incarnation, um, it doesn't speak to me or, or grab me fully. Uh, so I'm just really looking forward to seeing uh, what what is yet to come. As a watchmaker, did you find that uh, not having the time displayed all the time, essentially, on the Apple Watch was strange, weird, or the, the future or something like that? Uh I'd lean more towards the, the strange side of things, I guess you could say. I always find it weird when I look at somebody's wrist, like even just across the room or something, and it's just a dark rectangle as opposed yeah. to you can actually see something, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that Apple Watch in its current incarnation actually suffers in some of the same ways that early wrist watches did. And if you look at, uh, like going way back 100 years or so to the uh, what... Hans Wilsdorf, who's the founder of Rolex, did with Rolex. Uh, he basically saw that they needed to make the watches basically impermeable to water and dust and any sort of issues that could arise from that. And Apple's done a pretty good job there. But then the second thing is uh, the tedium of having to wind a watch uh, was something that was, was okay when it was a pocket watch. You take it out of your pocket, wind it, kind of just not even thinking about it. But when it's something that's on your, your wrist, it's a lot harder to, to actually wind a watch in order to to power it and keep it going. Uh, so it's, it was onerous to have to take a, a watch off your wrist to do that. So that was another thing that he, he noted and uh, developed an automatic winding system that he dubbed a perpetual uh, winding system that basically harnessed uh, the energy of, of the motion of your body as you're walking around and translated that into power that, that the watch could then use to keep time. Uh, and the words... Oyster, perpetual oyster being the waterproofness and perpetual being the perpetual winding, continue to grace the dials of, of Rolex watches to this day. Uh, so that was a, a big um, development in the history uh, of watchmaking, making watches waterproof and making them able to just continue to power themselves while you're wearing them. That really allowed uh, watches to take hold the way that they did over much of the last century. I am looking at one right now. <laughs> I feel like I just learned five new things. You have a Rolex? Yes, it's a, it's a graduation present from my dad way back when, when I, from college. Does it say Precision Oyster on it? Yes. It's a, no, it's a Datejust. Sorry. 
It's the base model. Yeah. Oyster Perpetual Days, just it's a it's a handsome model. I've seen your watch. It's it's very nice, Phil. <laughs> um, all right, so I want to sort of loop take this conversation, loop it back to to Twix. So I took a look at your your app earlier on, and I learned something. It's that the accuracy for watches has always been evaluated using cameras. Not always. Know. It's the gold that, standard for for timekeeping has been okay. with cameras. Cosk, they they certified chronometers. And and now this is something that you've brought so that I guess anyone anyone can measure the yes. accuracy yeah, of their just watch. Taking a, a photo or snapshot of a, a watch or a clock and the exact time that the trigger's pressed, I have that tied into NTP servers on the internet. So you get a very precise time that the watch or the picture of the watch was taken. And then you also have the time that was displayed on the watch at that time. And by comparing several of those uh, over time, you can get a very precise read on, on how precise the watch is. That is so neat. I didn't even know this existed until, until we met. Is the precision enough for you to actually use in production? Uh, yeah, so we actually do use this for for quality control um, in the day-to-day -day, uh, work. The area that I've actually been very surprised by, there are there's in, our industrial tools that will do this for you as well, far more expensive. Uh, and for quality control, we typically did it all by hand before and just noting the numbers down and running all the calculations ourselves. But this obviates a lot of sort of the, the nuisances of doing that. And um, I've actually been working with uh, some computer vision uh, and the machine rudimentary machine learning uh, over the past year and a bit, and I'm uh, making some some decent progress on being able to make it even easier to use Twix time because at the present you have to manually register the the various positions on the dial, but I'm working towards uh, a future where that won't even be necessary. The computer will take care of all that for you or much of it for you. Yeah. You will tell your app to read the watch face, essentially. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Wow. So, so how how many or how many years have you been working on this? On Twix time, I've been working on that since 2012, and Kello has been in the works since uh, 2009, late 2008, early 2009. Oh, so that was your first one you worked on. Correct. Okay. Yeah, it uses the, the microphone input of uh, your iOS device, it, typically the, through the headset, uh, to listen to the, the TikTok of a mechanical timepiece. And we'll then extrapolate that TikTok out over the course of a day and, and tell you how much it's deviating uh, for that current point in time, for that particular position, particular state of wind. Oh, neat. And that you can, now you, can, you know why Chris Licio was involved. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he helped me with uh, some window functions, or led me in the right direction in, in terms of uh, some of the, the windowing that I was doing for the digital signal processing. Nice. And um, so how, how, how have you positioned your apps in terms of pricing and uh, whatnot? Uh, like, what price are they at the yeah, moment? Yeah, sorry. Or, yeah. I don't actually know what the Canadian prices are offhand because they just changed them all recently. Um, but back when we were closer to being on par with the States, uh, it was 5 and $10 each. Oh, okay. And what should people search for if they are looking to get your apps? Um, Kello is spelled K-E-L-L-O, and Twixt Time is T-W-I-X-T 
and space time. It's actually five dollars Canadian for Twix time. Yeah. <laughs> Just looked it up. <laughs> so do you uh, do you tend to try and market these things to other 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 watchmakers? With Kello, uh, essentially, what that was born out of uh, was this is going to get maybe a little too technical, but uh, back. We have timing machines that we use that are very similar to this, professional-grade stuff. Uh, entry level is about $3,000. The one that I tend to use in my day-to-day -day is, is up in the five-figure range. Um, but the one that, that I now have does do sub-second uh, precision, whereas before uh, I didn't have a machine that did. And doing dynamic poisoning, which is analyzing the watch while it's ticking in different positions to figure out where to remove material to make it keep excellent time across all positions. I wanted that sub second precision. So I built Kello um, for that for purpose for myself uh, and also so that I could have basically a timing machine at my disposal whenever I wanted. Uh, so a bit of, I guess, what Don Melton would call ignorance and, and hubris or hubris and ignorance <laughs> uh, led me down the path to create Kello. And so I made that, and then it turned out there were this. There's just this whole community of collectors and enthusiasts uh, who wanted access to this kind of technology as well, uh, and picked it up. And I was dealing with a fair number of support requests. Then I was realizing um, that the people, a good number of the people who were using the app, um, didn't actually understand exactly how their watch was operating and how best to position the microphone. And, was spending a good deal of customer support time uh, kind of coaching people through what was actually happening inside of their watch. Because uh, to a watchmaker, uh, they're trained on that and they know why a watch is behaving a certain way. So people could be frustrated by the results they were seeing because you're just getting a snapshot of how the watch is, is keeping time. And there are a whole bunch of different variables that will go into how well a watch is going to keep time over the course of a day. Uh, so that led me to develop Twix time, actually because I found it was just a simpler solution for what uh, this uh, demographic of users was actually wanting. They were just wanting to see how their watch was performing on a general basis. Uh, so I made Twix time for that, and that like obliterated my support requests for Kello, which was, was great. Um, and then it turned out, in turn, that Twix time was actually phenomenally useful for watchmakers to be doing their their quality control work with. And then on top of that, another uh, unknown unknown in making it, um, there are times where we as watchmakers will have a client come in and they'll say that their watch isn't keeping time properly, yada, 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 and try and dig and, and get to the bottom of things and determine exactly what's happening. But you're going off of very subjective uh, information. Whereas now with Twix time, I've actually had a number of other watchmakers told me they were doing this first before we started doing it as well, but they they offered to make a fine adjustment for a client to their watch to, to adjust it to their wearing habits, uh, and they'll um, essentially discount the cost of that service by the cost of that client acquiring Twix time if they happen to have an iPhone. And the client at home uh, on their own time is empowered to be able to get very precise, detailed uh, analysis of how well their watch is performing. Then they can bring that information back to the watchmaker, and the watchmaker can make a very slight adjustment, and all of a sudden the watch is keeping excellent time based on 
their wearing habits. I've actually had close to a dozen different clients now get their watches dialed in to almost zero seconds a day. Like we're talking like 0.2, 0.4 seconds a wow. day of, of deviation, which That's for fantastic. mechanical watches is phenomenal. Uh, right. Yeah. I think it's like one second a day is totally acceptable for a mechanical well, watch, right? More than that. So you're yeah. top of the the line uh, certification, which is cost the, the chronometers, is minus four to plus six seconds a day is the loud deviation Jeez. for the average timekeeping. The actual positional timekeeping can be even greater than that. But the overall average for the watch over the course of a day has to fall between minus four and plus six seconds a day across five positions and three temperature ranges. So this almost describes something like health kit for watches. Yeah, almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To a degree. So so they would use your app to collect some data, the, the, the client would. Mm-hmm. And they would, they would, your app would store the data, and then they could actually take that app and show their watchmaker, their uh, uh, watch repair guy, and he would take that information and and know exactly how to how to resolve the issue. Yes. Yeah. So if you bring your watch to a watchmaker and you say, "Oh, it's been going, you know, five minutes fast for me, and it's been two or three months," there's not a whole lot a watchmaker can do with that to fine tune the watch. Like they, they can make. A small adjustment, like say, make it gain or lose some time based on what you're seeing. But when you come to them and you say, look, I've been using this app. I can see that my watch has been gaining precisely six seconds on average over the past four weeks. That watchmaker can then dial it down five or six seconds for the client. And then the watch will tend to keep time very close to, to perfect for them based on their, their wearing habits, as long as they're consistent in the way that they've been wearing it. I mean, if uh, someone doesn't have consistent wearing habits, the watch won't keep as good time, in which case the watchmaker would err. On, and, and looking back on the, on the data in Twix time, they're able to see just how close all the different readings are. Um, so if the readings are all very tight, then they can be tight in the adjustment. And if they're a little loose, then you err on the side of the watch gaining time because you'd rather be early for a meeting than late, right? Yeah. <laughs> So do you ever get contacted by these um, analysis hardware manufacturing companies saying, uh, hey, uh, John, I see you got a little iOS app here that you spend, that, that you charge five bucks for and 10 bucks for. We charge three grand for ours. What's the deal? Uh, they, I would say in, like in terms of innovators dilemma, the incumbents still have a, a big leg up in that. Uh, doing positional analysis using the microphone requires some dedicated hardware. Uh, that's stuff I've been exploring making, but, I mean, you, you've still got some serious perks with using the higher-end equipment. The other thing is the, the high-end equipment that I use in the lab deliver metrics other than just the rate of, of how well the watch is keeping time. This, remind, this reminds me a lot of... Um people that are using dedicated hardware for uh, vision, like uh, the, the, the vision-impaired people, they can buy dedicated hardware to like even tell the color of something, right? So they have a little wand that they point at something that tells this, this is red, this is green, this is blue. Mm-hmm. So they, it talks. You can do the same thing with an iPhone app that costs like 10 bucks, yes. as opposed to $2,000 for the stupid wand, mm-hmm. right? So it's, the, it's kind of the same disruption by somebody who sees a, a, a niche and it doesn't need to be super expensive mm-hmm. because when you think about it, the amount of work in the beginning just to get a prototype up is just not the same with a phone than it is with hardware. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the iOS devices and just the power that is 
coming to be at our disposal in terms of just sheer computing power in the palm of our hands is phenomenal and really opens up a lot of doors. I just find it always mildly ironic that you use an iPhone to calibrate a watch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's awesome. It sort of touches on one of the like the big challenges that I've noticed and faced in working in tech. It's like finding a harmony between the analog and the digital, and it, it sounds like you've done that really well. Hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, I would say, what really inspired me about living in Finland, actually. It's just the synergy that they have between the, the high-tech and the the low-tech way of life. Just that I find the Finns have a, an amazing balance there. Uh, it's been a couple of years since I was last there. I mean, Nokia was still big when I was there uh, and is now no more. But it, oh, I just found it fascinating to be walking out in the forest with a lumberjack and heard his phone rang and he pulled it out and he's able to surf the net and all that. It's actually by law in Finland, you have to have cellular coverage across the entire country. And fiber to every home, I think. Uh, that's recent then, if that's yes. the case. I wasn't aware of that. And the schooling there is phenomenal too. Uh, they do a really good balance between um, hands-on uh, crafts and skills uh, while also balancing the high-tech side of things and, and sciences and all of that. I'm just very impressed with, with Finnish culture all around. That's fascinating. And actually, to come to think of it, or speak of it, I suppose, uh, kello actually means clock uh, in Finnish. So I, I named it that uh, just in, I guess, as an homage to the master clocks that watchmakers used to use to, to time their watches back in the day. That's a full circle moment right there. There you go. <laughs> so how, how long were you in Finland for? I lived there for a full year. So another thing we were curious about is a little bit more about your work in the iOS community. So, you know, we we understand that this comes secondary to watchmaking, mm. but how? What's your involvement like with that group? Yeah, so yeah, like you say, given the the deeper expertise I have in watchmaking, my contributions back to the community per se over the years have tended to lean more towards the horological community. So I've got a, a number of articles published in things like the Horological Times and have uh, been a technical consultant on some articles for Hodinkee. Uh, but in terms of um, the Coco Mac iOS community, I've written a few articles for iMore, um, contribute to open source projects when uh, I come across something that needs fixing that I'm able to fix and give back in that way. Uh, in terms of open sourcing uh, code that I've written myself, I personally find value in well-abstracted, genuinely useful code in terms of when I'm looking at, at other open source code that's out there. So it, when I open source something, I want it to be something that can be genuinely useful and, and easily applied to another project, kind of like a, a Swiss army knife approach, if you will. So much of the code I've written to date for iOS uh, is single use and very domain specific. So I've only actually released a, a single category to date uh, that I've written on UI table view, uh, but we'll release other code uh, as opportunities arise. So if you ever happen to need to select all of the cells in a UI table view, yeah, you can welcome, welcome to use my category on GitHub at Coldflower. <laughs> And so when you're not uh, hacking away on your own apps and uh, sitting at the keyboard, what, what do you like to do outside of development? I really enjoy creating and exploring. 
and if either happens to involve a good cup of tea along the way, even better, uh, I get a real kick out of the endorphin rush that's associated with bringing something that doesn't yet exist in the world into existence and seeing uh, that completed work fulfill its intended purpose for the first time. It's a really magical moment. And whether that's pushing electrons around inside of a processing unit or shaping a piece of wood or a piece of metal or putting paint to canvas, I derive a lot of pleasure and occasionally some fulfilling frustration from the creative process in general. And in terms of exploring, I appreciate the perspective uh, that it offers and that I, I, I gain from just taking on new experiences, whether it's traveling somewhere I haven't been before or delving into a good book or down a rabbit hole of research, uh, just investigating things or simply seeing something that's familiar through a fresh set of eyes. You're, you're a very curious guy. <laughs> I suppose so. I just find there's a lot to be gained from, from experiencing the new things. Hopefully you don't view everything as a series of gears that need to be adjusted. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I find that in life as in watchmaking, the, the key is, is balance. So. Very well said. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us tonight, John. Well, thank you, guys. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? On Twitter, at Under the Loop. Uh, U-N-D-E-R-T-H-L-O-U-P-E. The loop is the little magnifier I, I use to look at uh, the tiny universe uh, that I work on uh, through the day. And then for the apps, it's at coldflower.com, C-O-L-D-F-L-O-W-E-R. Excellent. Thank you. You can learn more about our conference by visiting our website at nsnorth.ca. Also, be sure to check out our new blog as we frequently post news and announcements there and on our Twitter feed at NSNorth. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time to meet another great speaker. Phil, how can people get in touch with you? Either phil at nsnorth.ca or on Twitter at philipsy. And yourself, Dan? I, on Twitter, am at uh, underscore Dan Byers, and you can reach me on email at dan at nsnorth.ca. And I'm Adrian R.M., A-D-R-I-E-N-N-E-R-M on Twitter, or you can email me at adrian at nsnorth.ca. See you soon. Mm-hmm.